So hi, welcome to the Noise Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm Glory. And we're here with Andrew from Project 86. And we're asking some questions about their upcoming album Omni Part One. So congrats on that, by the way. How do you feel about the response to the announcement so far? Uh it's been great, beyond expectations, to be honest. Uh you know, set out to make something a little different this time and and uh you know, so far the plan has worked as far as the, the response. So really stoked right now, really thankful. Oh yeah, that's Hell awesome. Yeah. Album rocks. Dude, album is Thanks, incredible. Man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of Seriously. Of course, yeah. Uh so is there any meaning behind the album title or cover art? So I like that you're asking about the cover arts. I got to give a shout out to my boy, Donnie Phillips, who is the best designer on the planet and the coolest dude ever. Uh, he's been so fun to work with on this stuff. There's a lot of world building with what we're trying to do. And he really captured it. The album title, Omni, is in reference to a fictitious tech company that basically takes over the world in the context of the world of, of this album. Uh, and the album art, we really wanted to capture the focal point of their global domination, which is in the form of a technologically advanced human city that uh, has as its greatest achievement, this gigantic tower that's b bigger than by many times than anything that's ever been constructed. Uh, and it's actually a basically a, a festival location or a venue or even a resort destination. It's a customizable uh, user experience with LED screens and projectors on every surface of the entire city. And so the inside of this tower has all these levels that are meant to house this huge event to celebrate this technology that Omni has dropped, this mysterious tech that drops halfway through LP1, uh, that is an application that users can uh, integrate with their actual bodies to overcome death. So the album is about what happens to humanity if we no longer have the consequences of death. And the exploration of this is really a look at human nature and looking at history, current events, and everything that's going on in the world, especially our relationship with technology, uh, and exploring all the above. So it's, uh, I wanted it to be a really dark journey, basically, uh, through looking at some fictitious events that are loosely tied to current events and history, and uh, yeah, it gets ugly. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Oh my God! So it's this. It's it's a concept record. It's a it's a continuing series. It's how do you guys come up with this shit? Because that's just you explaining it. I'm like I never would have thought of this in like a million years. Oh man! So this is the idea of technology doing us wrong it, to increasing measure or degree over mm -hmm. time has been something I've been pretty into exploring and thinking about and gobbling up whatever media I can get my hands on for the last, I don't know, 25 years or so, really since the band started. That's been something I've been into. Uh, books and films and shows. And, you know, thankfully, you know, we're seeing things progress in the real world so much on a day-to-day -day basis, it seems, 
there's more and more media coming out that explores this. So there, there's kind of this rich lake of content now that, that really examines these issues from different angles, whether you're talking about, you know, more popular shows like black mirror or, uh, you know, pick, pick a, pick a film franchise from Ridley Scott or, or, uh, Gosh, it seems like on my Amazon menu, my Prime menu every day, there's a different show that's being fed to me that kind of delves into this stuff. Yeah. Or more classic, uh, you know, literary works, whether we're talking for Fahrenheit 451 or uh, Brave New World. That's one of my all-time favorite books. So I've been into this stuff for a really long time. And I guess subconsciously this sort of idea has been marinating in me for, for a while. And I really wanted to do a, a much heavier sound. I've been wanting to do that for a very long time and really tried to make that happen on this release. And I felt like it was just an appropriate time for where the world is and musically, it all sort of lined up to, to want to explore this. And I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not a fan of the idea of the concept record and yet they're really fun to make. Um, as as a fan, you always think, oh, the band, you know, the band I love is putting out a concept record. It must mean it's not the music's not that good, oh. you know, or or somehow it's going to take a backseat to the quote story, mm-hmm. right? Very intentional on this release to make the music the focal point, mm-hmm. the songs, wow. you know, the, the energy, uh, and really what we wanted to do is not write like singles, but mm-hmm. m- make music. That gives you chills. That that evokes an emotional response, especially if you're like a heavier music fan, obviously. Uh, and that takes you on a bit of a ride, and that there's a bit of an ebb and flow, and so that you want to listen to the whole record, not just song three, song nine, and which is what we all do now. You know, it's a single-driven, you know, attention short attention span marketplace in music. So yeah, that that's the thought of mine. We're still making everything. Yeah. You know, we've dropped three music videos and uh, LP one is what we call it. Part one of the, of this double album, Omni, mm-hmm. is dropping on March 24th, which is what I, I'm assuming is in the past at this point when this airs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're in the studio right now working on part two of the double album. And I can talk about that a little bit more. Um, and we're really uh, trying to create an immersive experience for the audience. So the music obviously is the most important thing, but for those, and we have some folks that are kind of like the inner circle of the diehards who follow the band, who are into the lyrics, like digging deeper, want depth. And so we're doing a film or a visual album based upon the music of LP1. And then I've also written a fiction book that goes along with it. And they all sort of integrate together the lyrics, the book, the film, it's all sort of one thing. Okay. So we're working on all of this at once. And I've got to be a crazy person because when you're in the middle of all these spinning tops, it's like overwhelming. So each day I have to really be intentional about my time and, and energy, um, making sure that's efficient and that I don't burn out <laughs> inside of it. So you're, you're working on so much in one go, mm-hmm. but you said during this that the the music is very intentional so how do you maintain that intention within the music while also working on all of this other world building stuff and like making sure that the music doesn't fall short while you're working on everything else 
That's a great question. Um, I think because I've made mistakes with this in the past and we've attempted to do something similar and in looking back on it, you realize, oh, I made that decision for what songs to choose or we as a band made a decision for the track listing or, you know, I chose to make this, you know, when we did our third album, which was a major label release, and we had a pretty big budget to work with, and we decided, I decided really to go this route with it, make it more conceptual. In looking back on that record, I realized like, oh, if we would have just done this, this, and this, put this song first, you know, which was a song that we cut from the record, um, you know, and focused a little bit more on emphasizing these things sonically. And I would have focused a little less on, you know, the single being track 16. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, uh, it would have been a totally different impression left on the audience. So learning from those experiences along the way. Um, and just making sure just from a visceral standpoint, like we have the, we have the music, you know what I mean? Like the music is exciting. So everything else is supporting the music even if the the lyrics are kind of already in my brain it's still like no i'm not going to make a decision to move this song to this track or this song to this track or you know shape the music in such a way because it complements a narrative we still just need you know songs that we know that people are going to dig first and foremost you know i hope that's not vague but that's it's really almost like understanding the mistakes you made in the past so that they don't um, happen again. Yeah, no, that makes total Absolutely. sense. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Right. Oh yeah. Um, so, what song off the album took longest to write, and which one is your personal favorite? <laughs> That's a good question, and it it changes a little bit. And the album is still so young for me. Uh, wh what I go through is, you know, you're really closely connected to the creative process and so you hear these songs over and over and over again and you sing them and you hear them over and over and over again as you're mixing them and mastering them mm -hmm. then after that process is done I don't know if every artist does this but this is what I do I shut it down for a period of time after that I take space from it I just I'm sick of it mm -hmm. you know okay. I don't want to listen to it I don't want to analyze it so that when I come back to it I can hear it with fresh ears yeah uh so I came back to the album recently and different things were jumping out to me that didn't previously when I was so close to it. Um, you asked which song took the longest to, to write. Um, that's a good question. The, the track that is kind of the penultimate song on the album is a song called Spoonwalker. And it has like 80 different parts to it and it's definitely a journey. Uh, it's also one of the heaviest songs on the record, if not the heaviest, uh, from a vocal standpoint, that one took twice as long mm -hmm. as the others to both write and, uh, record in the studio from a musical standpoint. I would say the one that went through the most evolution, probably track one, because there's so many layers to it. Yeah. Um, it was a group effort writing that song. 
and it started with a voice memo that I made where I was basically, we, we do these, you probably talked about this with other bands a little bit, but when you have an idea for a song, no matter what instrument you play, it usually starts as a voice memo. And that, that voice memo usually is something that's really silly and embarrassing to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were just talking about it in the studio a couple of days ago. It's like, if anyone who doesn't do this ever heard this stuff, yeah. they would think that we're crazy, you mm-hmm. know, or, or just they would laugh, fall on the floor and laughter. So I had this voice memo that had this wild, like, drum pattern. That wasn't like a beat. It was like this progression, like a three-minute progression of like drum parts that are kind of like beatboxed out. And uh, the the guys and I, as we were working on it, uh, Matt Putman is one of the, the co-producers of the record, took the voice memo and threw it into the program we were working in to write the song and just brought up the 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 MIDI map and copied and pasted drum part to match the the beatbox thing that so I did. Cool. Yeah. So the drums that are actually on track one were in here, and I'd never imagined that they would become anything. It was just yeah. like, oh, something, something. Let's go with something that something feels like, like this. this. Yeah. You know, he's like, well, I'm just gonna take what you did and make a drum part that is like three minutes long. It's this whole like building thing. And as we were writing the song, like. Matt also had this, he's, he's, he's a sound engineer uh, and a producer, and he loves to capture analog so- sounds in the environment that you would never, you never think to capture. So he's like recording like a refrigerator and turning it into a drum loop, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. So you had this like pitch pipe, this little pitch pipe in the studio that sounded like, kind of like a kazoo. And he he was he was grabbing it every now and then to just make everybody laugh because he's kind of a joker. Yeah. And and you know we'd be hanging out and then he'd go and blow this pitch pipe and then we'd all start laughing. Uh, at one moment, like uh, one of the other dudes in the room came up with this the guitar part uh, that is the first thing that you hear on the record musically, and he started playing the pitch pipe along to the guitar part and that made it onto the record. And then somebody else took out the, I don't even remember what it was. It was like a couple um, coins or something that he was shaking in his hand and he recorded that and that got onto the record. And then like, so this song has all these like crazy amounts of layers in it um, that were just randomness. Uh, And hearing it for the first time when it was done, uh just the demo because it was basically like let's sit down and write the first song on the album which we usually don't do you know one of the other guys said that i think it was Corey uh brandon who said that and he's like let's just write the first song on the album okay let's let's do it that's kind of ballsy you know because you never know you never know what you're gonna end up with yeah and that ended up being track one and uh i should remember the first time i heard it i was like i want to feel the way i feel right now hearing this track on every track on this record. And that's in a different ways. For me, it was accomplished. Usually if it's accomplished in me, the people that like the band uh, follow in suit with their, with their reactions. Okay. So um, yeah. 
So, you know, we're talking about these big complex songs, this big complex idea, but it's, you said it yourself, it's a very single driven landscape. So is there any sort of like hesitation on your end, like putting out this big grandiose project that really should be listened to in full, like in this single driven world? No, because there are songs on the record that are their own self-contained, like, jams mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of bangers on this record that if you just hear that song you're like, oh this is dope and you don't really know if you don't know like all this other stuff that's going on you know it doesn't matter so like the three songs that we've dropped music videos for like you know they can definitely be listened to and appreciated mm-hmm. on their own yeah uh, and that was what i get what i was getting at. i was like we want the music to be able to stay on its own i don't want like I don't want to put out a record that's just like an orchestral, a series of orchestral movements. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a classic film score where it's like, you know, track one is 19 minutes. The next track is two minutes. You know, the Mars Volta used to do stuff like that. It would drive me nuts, you know, as a fan, because I always wanted them to do what they did on the first record. It was still conceptual. There was still a story to it, but you didn't care because it was the the music just rocked and each song was yeah, Rick Rubin did the record. So, it, you know, the songs are self-contained, awesome, you know, and, that, and that's what we wanted. So it's like, you know, if you listen to Metatropolis, which is track six, that was the first single we dropped. It's hopefully just a song where you come away going, dude, that was a heavy banger. That's mm-hmm. stuck in my head, you know, or track two, Virtual Signal. Like that's, a, you know, that's just a rocker, man, with like a really driving beat to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's balancing these two things but really you know having a ton of moments where it's just like great riffs you know heavy parts you know ebb and flow to songs you know hopefully lyrics that you can attach to and just just feeling of like ominous that's what i wanted just an ominous feeling that doesn't let you go for the 52 minutes or whatever that the the album is okay makes sense all right uh, so how did the track list for the album come about? You already mentioned that you were with the opener to be the opener, but what about everything else? Well, track two, Virtual Signal. Um, I remember that was another Matt deal. He was like, I got this beat, and I'm imagining this would be track two on the record. It'd be a great song to follow up track, this epic first track that we did. Um, and that that was very obvious there uh, to go after. Uh, you know, it, it basically became what what we thought it might be. Mm-hmm. so that was a very obvious decision um the song Spoonwalker, which is the second to last song on the record that to me and to everyone else you know grayson who wrote that you know the majority of that song um that uh was always very obviously going to be either the last track or second to last track what we did is we took the music from track one the one i was just describing is kind of that epic build thing and we reversed it so it's the same song in reverse with different lyrics so it's like kind of a bookend um so instead of building it decays Uh Um, that's so fucking cool (laughs) which is interesting yeah i don't i don't know of anybody who's done something like that it became kind of fun to to execute that because again we didn't know what we what we were going to end up with there but it actually worked um yeah from there it was just you know we wanted so we've got this grandiose kind of epic build first song and then we wanted two bangers after that and then uh virtual signal and zero is greater than one you know 
Zero's Greater Than One is a little bit, little bit of a longer song, but it still has that banging element. Um, some really good riffs in that song that I love. And then we just felt like, um, you know, track four or track five on records are usually like a left turn a little bit sonically. So uh, we felt like we wanted something that was a little bit more uh, doomy for for that part of the record. And we split that up into two tracks. So so user agreement is track four and track five is when the Belfry speaks. They were originally one song, just an intro and then the song. We split them into two and then we, we made user agreement its own thing. Um, but it's really tracks four and five are, are were initially one song because it's the same guitar part. Oh. Um, uh, that yeah, that song is just really, really, really doomy. And then uh, comes back up. Track uh, six is Metatropolis, and that that was the first single. That's the most immediate song on the record, in my opinion. It's also one of the heaviest. Mm -hmm. It's it's just it's just a gnarly song. But that was the song in the studio when we got the vocal done. I think it was the second song that that I recorded vocally. That was the song that I had an hour drive home from the studio that I I was just blown away. I was just like, we did it. I mean, this, I can't wait for, like, I, I cannot imagine what people are going to do when they hear this. Because yeah. it, it's, this is the, the music that I've always wanted to make. And, uh, yeah, the response to that one, when we dropped it as the first single in video, was really, really strong. And I think that right there, like, it kind of created a new atmosphere for, um, for the, for just this chapter of, of what we've been doing for so long. It's kind of definitely like a reinvention. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. So because this is a, a concept record and you have a very full fleshed out story, that makes track listing easy then, because I guess you're just, you're going along with the story. You're kind of writing along as you're figuring it out. So everything just kind of fell into place. Yeah. It all fit together in the right way. Um, and again, just from doing this in the past, mm -hmm. there was another record we did where I learned a lot of lessons that was also conceptual. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just, I feel like I, I sort of intuitively know now how to kind of approach it yeah. so that the music doesn't get compromised and but so that uh, the music and the lyrics work together mm -hmm. to complement one another. Um, and I'll take away a lot, a lot of new lessons with this one. If we ever want to do it this way again, it's fun. To me, it's more fun. If you, Good. you know, if you have a band or an artist that you love and they put on a record and you attach to the music, that's one thing. And then if they like, to me, it's like extra candy. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if you fall in love with the music, you know, to know that there's all this extra content associated with it, that'll take mm -hmm. you deeper into the music. Cause that's what it's really meant to do. Yeah. Uh, as much as I think this, you know, film that we're making can stand on its own or will be able to stand on its own when it's finished or the book, you know, can be read independently as a piece of fantasy, sci-fi, horror, mm -hmm. uh, separately, um, or cyberpunk, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's all meant to enhance the musical experience. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that that's the motivation. Makes sense. Uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, the real fun here. It's like you have a picture. 
in your mind of what you want and maybe picture is the wrong word, but you have a picture in your mind of, of what you want things to sound like when you start out on a project. And this one obviously had a lot of, excuse me, there were a lot of very specific, you know, sonic pictures in my brain I wanted to touch on. And it, it's one of the, the only times in my career that I experienced such a gap between what I had imagined and what we ended up with in terms of exceeding my expectations. Mm. Uh, and, and the same thing has been happening with the music videos we've been dropping because I've yeah. always wanted to do animated type content. Uh, and when we got to the point where we needed to start strategizing uh, visuals, you know, for the album, I'm like, I have no idea who I'm going to work with to pull this off without spending a million dollars. Yeah. You know, and a member of our Patreon community, because I do a podcast twice a week that documents the making of this pro of this record. So I've been doing it almost two years now. Uh, and so we have a pretty vibrant community on Patreon. Um, I have devoted tons of time and have, hundreds of hours of content on there now, just everything from demos to obviously podcasts to in-studio content to exclusive music and everything in between. Uh, so I, you know, I talk about what's going on in the process every week when I do the podcast and I say, guys, I have no idea how, how we're going to pull this off, but this is what I want to do. This is like the vision. And, and this is something I've always, always wanted to attack. And a guy hit me up, this guy named Joel uh, Corpy, who I want to give a shout out to. Uh, and he's a part of the community. He's a supporter of the band. And he said, I, you know, I, I work for a big media company. I, my dad owns a film school. I went to film school. I, this is my world. And I can help you. Um, let's talk more. And I said, let's talk more. So we talked more. Absolutely. We ended up being, getting together in person. And he ended up knowing a guy who knew a guy who connected us to Spencer Olson. Shout out to him, uh, who's a director and visual visual effects junkie, really into turned out making stop motion Lego content years ago, uh -huh. and now more animated type visual effects type content. It's the perfect guy. And so the three of us have just been hashing this thing out. And when we dropped that first video. Uh, a little while ago, back in December, uh, for Metatropolis, the response was like overwhelming. Like people were like, oh, "I've never seen anything like this." You know, this is by far the best thing you've ever put out. And yeah. the visual look, the content, um, you know, some new pieces of technology became available to us that needed in the process. Um, you know, we're doing all this on a shoestring budget, and that's not even putting it accurately we're, we're flying a man to the moon with 17 cents yeah yeah uh, and the way it's turning out is blowing me away so every day i wake up uh, just totally stoked totally like blessed to be able to do this and it is definitely a full-time job and beyond mm -hmm. but our fans are the ones that have made this possible and uh, i've been surrounded by an amazing group of creatives um, again, shout outs to everybody who worked on this thing. Corey Brandon, Grayson Stewart, Matt Putman, Darren King, Michael Palmquist, Bo Burchell, um, and more, you know, so it's, it's, it's really been a journey and I've never experienced anything like this in many years of making music. Oh yeah. 
Um, well, this question should be super, super quick off the top of your head. I want you to describe this album for new listeners in three words, no more, no less. Ominous, destructive, and chill inspiring. Nice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See, I cheated to get in a four. Yeah. yeah, we'll okay, have we'll, it. It's we'll okay. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. Uh, so how do you hope this album will impact and connect with your fans? Well, the messaging is as such that initially, I think it's pretty obvious to anyone who would even remotely hear the words that are being sung and feel the emotions is that uh, there are there are some dire things emerging in the world that we need to probably be aware of a little bit more closely. And I focus in on our relationship to technology because it's such a vehicle and a weapon uh, that most of us are not really aware of. It's a very subversive presence in our lives. I was just listening to a podcast uh, before I got on this, this call um, and the name escapes me. I'm going to look on my phone because I want to give these guys a shout out too. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, it's the, the political orphanage with Andrew. It's very small hurting. I just started listening to it. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the, one of my bandmates turned me on to it and they were talking about the theme of the episode was sh it, basically if we could get rid of the internet, should we? And they were talking about dating apps and uh, human relationships and the political landscape and social media and everything in between. And they were kind of cross-referencing the turn of the millennium and what the internet looked like then as to what it has become now. Mm -hmm. And looking at how much algorithms have come to make our uh, user experience with the smartphone, which they kept saying, look, it's not a phone, it's a supercomputer that happens to also have one of the apps be a phone. Mm -hmm. So I was just, I was blown away because I, I you know, this is the, the first episode I've listened to in this podcast. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Like they're literally saying everything I'm thinking, everything I've been trying to communicate with this record. Yeah. Basically saying, you know, and I sound like an old guy because I am, but uh, this world that has emerged with these algorithms that are becoming increasingly more powerful to cater the content that we have to to our, our very personality and our, the nuances of our tastes and such, uh, and which are meant to harness a lot of the blacker forces inside of us uh, to to, to stoke fear and hatred mm -hmm. and division among people because that's what sells. That's what makes money. Yeah. Basically, you know, large corporations and dare I say governments are taking the most fragile parts of our psyche and monetizing them at our expense. And this is kind of the gist of what I want people to, to think about a little bit more because I feel like we have to. Because yeah. this stuff is going to be only going to become more invasive, more insidious, more subversive, and more subtle mm -hmm. the further we go in history. And it's increasing in terms of the speed which AI is becoming more and more real and yep. almost sentient. Uh, and 
it's no longer the stuff of sci-fi. It's no longer nope. the stuff of Philip, Philip K. Dick, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, you know, mm-hmm. from the eighties. It's, it's evident in every app that we open now on our phones. It's evident in how, how much we time we spend on our phones. It's evident in the way that we transact community and relationship with other people. It's evident in uh, the mental health environment, which is, a huge piece of the puzzle that I don't think gets addressed enough. Mm. You know, we're seeing the fracturing of elements of society and we focus on the media, especially focuses on symptoms. You know, we talk about guns and gun rights, huge point of debate, you know, politically and, and, and in the culture wars. Uh, But underneath the, school shootings is the degradation of the mental health environment, which technology plays a huge role in. Yeah. Let's take Instagram as an example. Uh, you know, what do you think it does to the psyche of a person when you're being fed imagery that is meant to stoke jealousy all Mm -hmm. day and you are being fed with that almost intravenously. Yeah. You know, what does that do, you know, to the way you view yourself, the way you view your body, the way you mm-hmm. view your face, you know, uh, or when you see, you know, people on there living their best life in the Maldives or, you know, pick a tropical resort destination, you know, how has this shaped the way that we perceive happiness mm-hmm. and the way we perceive relationships and the way we choose people to engage in relationships with? It's fascinating hearing these guys talk about, and these are these are guys who are not experts on this stuff. One guy, one of the guys, owns like a, a whiskey YouTube website, or a, <laughs> you, you know. Yeah. But it, the things that's what I love about this this podcast I was listening to or this episode, anyways, like these are lay people who are just talking about stuff they've observed. Yeah, um, it's not it's not some scientist in a lab, you know. They're talking about so uh, dating apps and how how they've affected us and talking about uh, the phenomenon that happens with swiping, right? Mm. And so you see a person, you know, who's like your optimal ideal come up in your feed, right? And you swipe, is it right or left? Right is to like, right? On some of the I think so. I'm, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you hit the like button, right? Yeah. And this person is like a Harvard, you know, you know let's say you're a male who's, who's looking for a female, you know? Mm-hmm. And this this girl's like a model and she's a Harvard graduate. Well, that's the new bar, right? Mm-hmm. And and so like subconsciously, you know, you're you're passing up girls that you you would probably, if you saw them in real life, talk to, you know. Yeah. And the other thing that's happening is like, you know, 80% of the women on dating apps are engaging with 20% of the men because mm-hmm. they're checking all the boxes, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's just fundamentally re-engineering the way that families are constructed marriages are constructed uh relationships are constructed and you're seeing a greater percentage of the population suffering from isolation literally because of smartphone yeah. technology yeah absolutely you know? so i could go on and, on and on and on about all this stuff but yeah. um this is this is everything that i think about and that i write about mm-hmm. because you know i'm not immune to all this stuff you know i'm you know <laughs> i was talking to my guitarist, who's also one of my co-producers, which is where we're working right now in Nashville, uh, about dopamine and about 
how we're being conditioned to be dopamine addicts and the manifestation of that is like you've got your phone out and you're on your phone but you've also got your tv on Mm-hmm. You've got your TV on in the background, you've got this show going, you're not totally engaged with it, right? Mm-hmm. And you're on your phone and you're scrolling, or you're on YouTube or whatever you're doing and you're you're engaged with that until you get bored of it or until something happens on the screen in front of you, the bigger screen in front of you that catches your attention. And then you look up at that mm-hmm. and that that's a dopamine hit. This is a dopamine hit. So, you know, like how much better is our world? Because we're not, we're not designed to be this way. This is not type. We're, we're organisms that are made for community and real human interaction. Mm-hmm. And we're getting faux community and faux human interaction through our phones and, and our computers and our screens and such. So again, I can go on. <laughs> yeah. Now the, the shit is, it's terrifying. Everything yeah. that's yeah. going on. You know, I, I try to keep the blinders on yeah. thinking about it, but it is hard to avoid, you know? Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, this is this is all put into this record. And and uh hopefully, you know, no matter what angle you're coming from in life and taste of music, you know, if you enjoy heavy music, I think there's something here that you can relate to. Um especially if you're a fan of anything that's um any piece of media that would uh, comment on the fracturing of society in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. Um, so for this question, I want you to picture you're on tour. You're at a gas station for a rest stop. What is your snack of choice? Oh, that's a good question, man. So in recent history, I changed my entire diet uh, about three years ago because I started having, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say health problems, but uh, I just had a lot of issues with, with just, digesting certain foods and it would make me feel really bad when I had dairy or, or, uh, gluten or certain things that had a lot of like, uh, add, uh chemically, yeah. act, chemically altered ingredients and such. Yeah. So, you know, I was actually having pain in my body from the food that I was eating. So yeah. I, I took a pretty extreme, uh, left turn into organic and uh, dairy-free, gluten-free, uh, cut out coffee, cut out a lot of acidic foods, um, changed the times of day that I was eating too. Uh, started doing, I guess it's called intermittent fasting now. I call it yep. skipping breakfast. Um, started doing that. And I noticed over a couple of years time, it switched from coffee to green tea. Oh, fuck um, yeah. I love green tea. Yeah. So I I drink a ton of unsweetened green tea. I drink it all day. And it it really does. It gives you that little bit of caffeine to give you the energy that you need and the mental kind of awareness that you want when you're trying to be creative, but it doesn't give you all the weird stuff that comes with coffee. Mm -hmm. So I did all of that and I got about two years into it and I took a look around and I just realized that I feel better than I've ever basically felt, have more energy was working more efficiently um, and such. So when when I uh, approach like snacking now, it's always, I, th- there's always tons of things I'll see at like a rest stop. Like one of my favorite places to go in the whole world. I don't know where you guys are located, but when I go to the East Coast, uh, the upper, uh, like the Northeast, there's this chain of gas stations called Sheets. Mm-hmm. Yes. I went to my first one last heard- week. 
<laughs> okay, so I love sheets. Uh-huh. It's one of my favorite favorite like spots when I'm when I'm out and about, and I have so many good memories and tour of going to sheets. And like I can't eat about ninety five percent of what's in sheets. And when I walk in there, like I feel kind of bummed about that fact, and I have mm-hmm. to get creative about the things that I buy. But they'll always have some like like version of chips that that are not like hyper like you know mainstream brand you know that has all the bad stuff in it i always end up buying chips chips have always been my favorite and when i tour in europe or travel in europe that is my go-to is i buy paprika chips they don't really sell those in the united states yeah but in europe that's my jam paprika potato chips i could eat those all day okay all right. I it just all, learned it took about a long those. time to get there. Yeah. Oh, no. I just learned about uh, paprika chips like, I don't know, two weeks ago. Someone <laughs> in an interview mentioned it. Still blows me away. <laughs> Never would have put paprika on chips. It just doesn't click for me. They're amazing. It's like, a, it's kind of somewhere between like a crab chip. I don't know if you've ever had those. Uh, crab, it's like old bay seasoning mm. on potato chips. Oh, okay. You can own. Only get them in like the Chesapeake Bay area, like yeah. Maryland, Virginia, yeah. some parts of Pennsylvania. Uh, it's like a cross between that and like a barbecue, but it's its own thing. And it's kind of a subtle flavor, but you just, paprika is just pepper, yeah. you know? Yeah. But it's a unique, unique taste. And I wish that they had it in the United States. Every time I go to Europe, I try to bring as much of, mm-hmm. much of those bags back to snack on. Uh, as I can. This is my number one. Number two would probably be just chocolate. Mm-hmm. Like usually not milk chocolate, no. probably dark chocolate or yes. uh, white chocolate doesn't bug me. But uh, I find that again, when I'm in Europe, I can eat the milk chocolate there. So like if we're in Switzerland or Germany, places yeah. where, you know, that are known for like chocolate, mm-hmm. I stock up on that, you know, and then, you know, you can, you know, I know, I know we're not necessarily just talking about America. Like you can get awesome stuff at a gas station in Europe, like oh, yeah. chocolate and paprika chips. Like I could fill a bag. You're set. Yeah. Hell yeah. 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 It's perfect. All right. Uh, so on the topic of food, if the band was a dish, what dish would the band be and why? That's good. Uh, good question. So I think, okay, so this is funny. This ties into uh, my experience right now. So, uh, again, my guitarist, his name's Darren. Um, giving him another shout, Darren King. Uh, we work at his space when I'm in Nashville. And he makes this stuff in the crock pot that he just calls slop. Okay. And okay. he calls it slop. Yeah, not advertising at all. But it's actually really awesome. So he puts okay. like beans Mm -hmm. uh two chicken breasts Mm um onions uh peppers it's basically just this like stew of awesome that he cooks and he puts just like it's it's a little bit mexican vibes um a little bit just like um i don't know what the term would be yeah it's like a stew and You know, you've got a lot of different pieces of the puzzle in it that make it kind of a unique flavor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, if you kind of look at all the different ingredients, it's pretty diverse, you know. Um, but together, like, 
it's really, really, really good. And the thing that makes it so good is you put it in a crock pot. And I told him the other day, because I have a crock pot at home as well, and I do the same thing. You can kind of put anything in a crock pot. And if you leave it in there long enough mm -hmm. to kind of just juice up and soak in, and yeah. it comes out being perfect. You don't yeah. need like a recipe. It's yeah. like this foolproof way to make something awesome. Absolutely. But without the time in the crock pot, it's not the same. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a slow burn. It's a slow cook. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that my band is that because we've been slow burning and slow cooking for a long time. There's a lot of diversity to the sound. You know, we've tried a lot of different things along the way. And I feel like all of that time came together and soaked in and you know, melded into this awesome tasting thing that's on me. <laughs> okay. All that right. was perfect. Hell yeah. That was perfect. Yeah. Oh my God. That was good. Um, so for the last couple of questions, we're going to shift completely away from music and go straight to death row. Boom. So okay. if you're on death row, what would your last meal be with a drink? Oh, man. Okay. This is so hard. This is so hard. <laughs> Man, this is an important question. It is. Opposite of, but actually very important. Mm -hmm. What we're doing. Okay, so I like spicy. Mm -hmm. And I like I like salty. Mm -hmm. And I find like if the if if worse comes to worse and I don't know what to eat, I love like buffalo chicken wings. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. With uh, French fries that are extra crispy and have salt and vinegar seasoning on them. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings actually makes that yeah. meal, and it's really freaking good. Uh, that with just like a a mineral water and a lime is an amazing meal. Fuck yeah! Because because you get you get the heat, and then you get the salt. And then the bubbles in the car, you know, the carbonation in the drink kind of yeah. soothes it a little bit. It's just an awesome experience. You lost me with that part because usually sparkling water enhances the heat and, and makes it, it, it worse does, for me. But in a weird way, like because the bubbles are like intense, mm -hmm. it like for some reason it, it makes it okay to take that take that next bite for me personally. Okay. okay. I maybe maybe I did it wrong. Um, I haven't eaten. I, <laughs> I could be the anomaly here. I'm fully willing to. Do that. I uh, I haven't eaten lunch today, and although I'm vegan, the 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 obviously the chicken doesn't uh, entice me. But the salt and vinegar fries, bro, that mm -hmm. shit sounds banging. Yes, it's so good, man. It's so good. I actually buy the salt and vinegar seasoning and put it in chili as well. Oh, you wouldn't think, but it is perfect that sounds banging hmm. okay i have to try that i guess interesting all right uh, so if you could live in one fictional world for a week where would you live uh can we time jump if it's in a fictional world sure i'll i'll, I'll let it i'll let it slide but it's a fictional world so it can't yeah. be anything that actually exists Unless so like, it's like a movie about something that happens, because then those are characters, you know, like that type of thing, I guess. Like there's a there's okay. a little middle section that you could do. Okay, but we're talking somewhat fantasy here. Um, yeah. Fictional world. 
to live for a week? Mm-hmm. And this is a tricky question because so many of the so many of the films and shows that I watch are not places I would want to visit. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, okay, this is based upon reality, but it's not. It would be the 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 world of the 1920s that was created and expanded upon by F. Scott Fitzgerald in The Great Gatsby. Even though that's like a that's like a like a dark take on that era, I still think that would be a fascinating world to inhabit because mm-hmm. everything was so much larger than life. Mm-hmm. The New York City of the Great Gatsby that would be really cool to visit for a week. Okay, okay, that's or good. or the Paris oh. of the 1920s in the film Midnight in Paris. Okay. Which is a totally sappy, semi like romantic comedy mm-hmm. with Owen Wilson and I Rachel McAdams. Mm-hmm. But I love that movie because I love Paris. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's sort of taking all the elements of the 1920s that, that exist in my brain that I love and combining them and putting them all together at once. So that's kind of a fictional world. Sounds good. All That'll right. So I have the investing last question. Every single person that we've spoken to have said that is the most important question. What's your favorite color? Favorite color is green. And I like kind of more of an army muted green. Hmm. Uh, Whenever I see that color, for whatever reason, my eyes are drawn to it. Um, Yeah. I, I don't really have a story behind that. I just, I like I like a, a deep green, like a foresty uh, military kind of green. Hell yeah. I love it. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I said, that's all the questions we have today. Is there anything that you would like to plug? Oh, yeah, man. Just, uh, you know, if, if, if you want to check out the music, just visit, visit us at project86.com. We have links to our Patreon, uh, to our pre-order. Uh, if you want to support the band, uh, we are... We are offering a ton of vinyl and cassettes and CDs and merch and such uh, via pre-order. Um, and yeah, if you uh, uh, want to go deeper and find out about uh, the process of making uh, this music and Omni, uh, patreon.com slash P65. Again, uh, that's, uh, that's linked directly on project86.com. So just visit our website and you can kind of get directed on where you want to go, whether it's a streaming platform, pre-order, Patreon, or YouTube. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sound. This has been Andrew from Project 86, and we have been the Good Noise Podcast.